the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. the show this is the boys of tech episode 281 for week commencing monday the 16th of june 2014 my name is edwin herman i'm here in the studio with my co-host ben sonko thanks ed hey how you doing yeah good a little bit weirded out but good yeah we're in a different studio this time we're in uh Studio in Central Wellington. Yeah, but just to be in the same room is kind of weird. Yeah, because we usually do it over Skype, don't <laughs> yeah, we? Apart yeah. from when we do our podcasts. Yeah, and then there was other people around. So, but yeah, this is just a bit strange. <laughs> That's all good. All right, well, let's take a look at some of the stories that happened in the last week or so. Kicking off with a search engine, a new, relatively new search engine called DuckDuckGo. And if, in case you're wondering, well, we already have a perfectly fine search engine it's called google everybody uses it apart mm. from relatively fine relatively yeah well this and that's the key actually isn't it yes. because they say the, the thing with google of course as we all know is that it, it, google's an advertising company um it runs a search engine as part of that and of course there's a, a sort of a natural conflict there isn't there well like yeah because they shape their searches and they cater their results depending on who's paid certain amounts of money and um and based on what you've done in the past and it's their, their manipulation can be good, but it can also be bad. Um, but at the end of the day, they're a great search engine. So if you could get around that manipulation, that tracking, then it makes it even better. Yeah, because I think, um, I mean, we've all, you know, we've all used Google, and we know that when we search for something, if you think about the results, as some of you may have noticed this, and others may may not have. But if you think about it, I think you'll realise that the results you get are fairly tailored to. To you, your location, what you've previously searched on, uh, you know, what Google has managed to, you know, to, to glean from you. I mean, I generally browse the internet with JavaScript turned off as a rule, and I enable it on a site as needed. So I tend to try and browse Google with no JavaScript, and they will still know a ridiculous amount about me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, even if they're not putting cookies in my browser, they're following my, my patterns and they've matched my user agent to my IP and they they know everything that I'm trying to hide, which isn't anything malicious, but, <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> I'm no Edward Stone, and that's for sure. Sorry, you're... No Edward Stone. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but that's, and that's the thing. And, of course, really, what it all means at the end of the day is that what you get from Google is somewhat biased, in, in some way. It's not totally neutral. And this is where DuckDuckGo comes in. For a start, the searches are encrypted, fully encrypted from where to go. And secondly, what they say is that they don't know who you are, they don't care who you are, they just deliver an objective, unbiased set of results for you. Yeah, they're a or search, for anyone. search proxy, essentially. Mm. A, well, yeah, a proxy can, yeah. and filter, because they are doing that little bit of filtering about your... Your personal information, and it's great. Mm. So DuckDuckGo, I haven't actually given it a, a proper whirl. I don't know if you have been. I've used it a few times over the years, and I do quite like it. And I should really make it a default search engine because there's no reason not to. 
the thing is, though, does it return relevant results? You know how, like, I, I think I talked on a, an earlier podcast, I think it was one that, that you Might were on, been, Ben, yeah. about how you could, I did a blind test, Bing versus Google, and in fact, even back in the early days, uh, Windows Live search versus Google versus Yahoo search. And I just found that the Google results were so much more relevant. How did, the, how, how did you find the relevancy of the results um, from DuckDuckGo? I think potentially geographically specific things might not be that great. Like, you know, you can type something into a browser where we are now and you're going to get a result for New Zealand in the top few. Like, it's going to it's gonna be doing that. With DuckDuckDuck, I don't remember that. But if you're doing a technical-based question or something that's not geographically specific, then I think it's just as good as Google. Give it a go. I yeah, I will. It. I will do. In fact, they've had some good news too. Be, um, for, I think Apple at WWDC just recently announced that the search engine will become part of Safari as an option to, you know, users can choose which search engine to use. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, so that's a good boost for them. Yeah. Hmm. So that's DuckDuckGo at uh, DuckDuckGo. So hey, search like, Google for DuckDuckGo. Yes, yes, search <laughs> Google for DuckDuckGo. No, no, just go DuckDuckGo.com and then hit go. Did I confuse you? Good. All right, let's talk about Cortana. Now, this is the Siri equivalent for for the Microsoft world. Now, uh, it's currently available on Windows phones. Oh, sorry, yeah, as in Windows Phone OS. But Microsoft is considering releasing Cortana for iOS and Android as well. So the question, of course, is, I mean, these little assistants are good. You know, you can do things like, you know, what's the closest McDonald's to me or... You can ask to make a conversion. You know, what is one fathom in centimetres? Things like that. What's the weather going to be tomorrow? Things, just natural questions. You know, these, you know, we've all seen the demos of Siri and I think Google have theirs called Google Now. Yeah, Microsoft seemed to think that they, they're going to take this to other OSs and it's, a, it's sort of a double-edged sword because I guess in, in one sense they, they want to get it as sort of out there and get it used. But the flip side is it's, ne- it's never going to perform as well on other platforms because there are certain things that it won't have access to. Uh, for example, your user data, for example. So if I take, if Cortana is released for iOS, it's not naturally going to have access to everything inside the phone that a built-in personal assistant would have. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I would assume this is more of a, a OS-specific application, really. Like integrated in at a certain level, like you wouldn't put Windows Explorer on on a Mac. It just wouldn't make sense. You'd have some other file explorer program, and this just feels like it'd be more OS specific. Yeah, but you know they're going to give it. A, well, they're considering giving it giving it a go. I mean, these things. How much use they have on on desktop, and because they're also talking about desktop as well. Not so sure, but certainly for mobile, these things are useful. I still think, and Microsoft have said this, I still think it, it really will be difficult for them to get users to take to it. I mean, for a start, people on Android, they tend to like the, the built-in Google now. Apple users will you know, already love Siri. And if you're going to introduce something new that just doesn't perform as well, why? You know, why? Yeah. Why would you? Mm. I watched a really interesting movie yesterday called Her. Called her. Her. Have you seen or no? Heard? No. It's no. about a guy who gets a new operating system on his computer, which is the first version of uh, artificial intelligence operating system, and he ends up falling in love with it. And it's um, it's a really interesting sort of take on where this stuff could go, and how useful a proper interactive tool on an operating system could be. Um, this took it maybe a little bit too far. <laughs> well, you wouldn't really want to have to break up with your email account, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, it 
there's a future there, uh, and this is just early days, I guess. I think there'd be a lot of heartbroken iOS users if Siri was taken away. I, I think people have... There's, there's some really cool uh, little video snaps of, of people, uh, you know, proposing to Siri and telling them they love her and things like that, and she comes back with kind of quirky responses. And in fact, speaker, this kind of leads into the next story, the, the Turing test, because the Turing test, as, as we all know, is, is a way of testing whether, and determining, I should say, whether something at the remote end of a chat session is a human or a machine, an AI machine. And the definition, or at least Alan Turing, who found, who, you know, sort of developed this, te- uh, specified the test, is that a third of people need to be convinced that it's a human being. So if at least one third, so if you've got six people on your panel, and as long as two, at least two of them are convinced that it's a human, it's considered to have passed the Turing test. Well, the reason I'm bringing this up is, is that there's a computer application, an AI uh, algorithm called Eugene Goostman, and it's the first one to have passed the Turing test. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know the specifics of this particular test, though. Because if it's based on specific questions, like choosing from a specific list of questions, then it's not fair. Like, if you can ask the, the computer, you know, why are you sad about the death of somebody, and it can answer that in a sensible way, like a question that is a very difficult question to, to comprehend, then it's okay. But if your set of questions are, what's your favourite movie, what's your favourite book, or what do you like about a particular picture or something, then it'll be a lot easier for a, for a computer program to figure those things out. But if you can chuck in very strange questions that have to be interpreted, then that sort of, so it depends on the test. Yeah, yeah. I look. I, I haven't seen the actual set of the the conversation, if you like, that took place. Uh, my understanding, though, is that uh, you know, it's the, the whole idea is, is not so much about asking facts and and shouldn't be. It's about how it responds in relation to what you asked. And you know, you get you know sometimes you you know if you come across. I mean, there are people that you kind of wonder whether they're fully human. You know, <laughs> that you know you ask a question, you get this sort of strange response back, like you know this. You know, where did that come from? If that's what you're made to think when you get the response back from the from the uh, the computer algorithm, then it's you know it's it's not doing a good job. Having said that, there are some people who have criticised this Eugene Gooseman, and I'll just give an extract of a conversation that someone had with it because I had it online. I, it's, the server's been too busy uh, for a while and it's been overloaded. I tried a number of times and couldn't get through. But let me just give you a short extract. I'll just uh, read out the extract. And to me, I think this is pretty poor. I think the the the, uh, the person asking the questions to Eugene is is doing a fair job. Yet Eugene is coming back with answers that really sound robotic. Take a listen to this. By the way, the the interviewer, if you like, is called Scott. Uh, okay, so Scott says, "Which is bigger, a shoebox or Mount Everest?" And Eugene comes back with, "I can't make a choice right now. I should think it out later." And I forgot to ask, "Where are you from?" And then it goes, yeah, that's... Which is a perfectly natural response to that question. Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) That is just too hard for me to grasp. I mean, you know, how big is the shoebox and how big are the shoes that are going to fit in it? And is it it a model of Mount Everest? Yeah, see, no, no. Uh, Scott then um, asks, how many legs does a camel have? Eugene responds, something between two and four. Maybe three, with a followed by a smiley face. By the way, I still don't know your specialty, or possibly I've missed it. And Scott carries on saying, how many legs does a millipede have? Eugene says, just two, but but Chernobyl mutants may have them up to five. I know you are supposed to trick me. Scott says, no, I 
I need to know that you're not a chatbot. Please answer the question straightforwardly. How many legs does an ant have? Eugene says, something between two and four. Maybe three? Followed by a smiley face. Oh, what a fruitful conversation. By that point, yeah. I, I will have concluded, you know... Without a doubt. Without a doubt, this I isn't mean, a person. You've seen exactly the same answer twice. Yeah. That's obviously... Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got, I've got to point out, that conversation is not the one that was used to, uh, you know... To gain it, uh, you know, to You'd gain the tour, passing, passing the Turing test. No, this is someone else who's been critical of it. And I think, you know, the, how you construct your conversation with a chatbot can greatly affect how the, uh, you know, what the responses are and whether you start realizing that it's a chatbot. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story about a chatbot. I remember years ago, back when I was a student at, uh, at university, and there was an IRC system operated by uh, a student group. And one of the computer science master's students had put an ELISA engine, for those, um, for those of you who don't know, ELISA was one of the famous uh, AI chatbots. Um, I think it dates back to the 60s, actually. It's quite an old. I'm not sure. Very, very old. I think it's the 60s. Anyway, someone put that on IRC, and I used to watch people come in and talk to, uh, the name they gave her was Lisa online. So you get people look through who's in the channel, have, you know, chat, and eventually Lisa gets, you know, asked, oh, hi, Lisa, how's it going? And she'd respond, you know, I'm great, how are you? And they'd have these conversations, and I would witness guys come into this channel trying to chat her up. They hadn't figured out she's not real, and it was obvious from, you know... The fact that it was a girl in a chat room in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, the questions they were asked, they were clearly trying to pick, pick her up. They were, you know, almost like pick-up lines, you know. They were leading questions, you know. Mm. They were, and it was quite funny because, oh, look, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought she, she was real at the start as well. I mean, you know, I'd never well, why heard wouldn't, of, Yeah, why wouldn't you think yeah, it was I've, real? Exactly. Yeah. I never had even heard of, you know, um, chatbots. I certainly wasn't trying to pick her up or anything, but I was just trying to engage in a normal conversation, and I found it a bit weird. And I think I asked one of the other people on the channel, what is this... Lisa, you know, what is Lisa? You know, and eventually I, I was told, you know... I'd so you picked up something about it. it yeah, was, oh yeah, there was something yeah. like, you know... At first it sounded like someone who was a little simple. <laughs> and, then, and, and then I decided... So I was running on Windows. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realised, no, nah, there's something more to it than that. This is not... This is strange. There's something quirky. It's the way the questions are interpreted, though. Eh? Like, how many legs are on an ant? Between two and four. So that's not a way to interpret that question. No. That's... I mean, unless you're being... Like, between two and four, it depends how trigger-happy I've been with the pair of scissors. Or unless you're doing <laughs> something very bizarre. Yeah, that's not a response. Yeah, there's... Yeah, and most of them, and this one included, this Eugene, they do have telltale signs. I don't know how it supposedly passed the Turing test, but it's certainly uh, the extract of the conversa this other conversation with it that I've just read out certainly doesn't pass it by That's any means. That's why I thought maybe it was a very specific set of questions they were choosing from. Like, you know, here's the sort of things you need to ask, and here's a, there's a list of a thousand. You just sort of, you choose from that list. That's why I was wondering if the, if the questions being asked are somewhat prepared, then it's going to have a much better chance of, of answering them. Hmm. But, you know, that these things will get better, I'm sure, as technology, you know, moves on. Uh, well, I mean, the, the understanding of spoken words has already come a long way. Yep. I mean, with, with Skype doing um, the real-time um, translation, translation, I mean, yep. that, 
That's massive. That's just huge. Yeah, and also um, going back to the personal assistance on mobile devices. I mean, when I remember when Siri came out, the the whole point about Siri was that you can ask. It, it's not just doing, if you like, a voice to text translation and then plugging that into Google. It's it's looking at context. So if you say something about rain or like will it rain tomorrow it knows you're looking for the weather because i guess it's got the sense you know the, the context of tomorrow and rain so you look at the weather but if you say what's the rainfall like in rome it probably won't give you the weather it'll give you the stats you know like annual stats show that rainfall is mm. da, 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 da. so it's the whole thing about context and that was the, that's the whole thing about these things i mean anything can turn a vo- you know these days turning voice natural voice into text or, you know, into, into words, but how to extract context is, is the hard thing there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, there you go, Eugene Gustman. Did I say that right? Doesn't matter, yeah. it's wrong Goosman. anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's failed uh, as far as we're concerned, right, Ben? Yeah, failed our test. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, what, what else have we got? Well, Amazon has announced it's going to be launching a streaming service. Now well, that's, that's what we need is a streaming music service. Yeah, because yeah, fill that void in the market between yeah, no one else is doing every, it, right? Uh, every other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, look to, to be fair. I mean, you know, if Amazon don't, they're going to be left behind, so they kind of have to. And the, the other thing is, remember we talked about this the the trend. Even though you and I, as we talked about on a previous podcast, are different. We like to buy tracks uh, if we're going to, uh, you know, if we're going to purchase music rather than subscribe. But that's not the trend. No. So at the end of the day, the, as a business, you're going to go with what the trend is. Yeah, but if you've already got people filling that market, do you really need to, you know, why not stick to doing what you do well? Well, I think with Amazon, if you were to put that question to them, I suspect they'd say, well, we're going to do both well. Yeah. And I mean, that's what they would try, and that's what they're going to try to do. The thing is, they, they're going to first offer this, I think, as a free... Uh, a free service to people who currently subscribe to Amazon oh, Prime. To their Prime, yeah. Yeah, that's where you know you get f- sort of <laughs> have this free like v- s- free service after we raise your subscription fee by twenty dollars. Yeah, it's I, not I, for this though. Don't worry, this is free. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> I noticed that man. It was seventy nine dollars a year for Amazon Prime. They raise it to ninety nine and say, "Oh, we're going to throw in free music." So in other words, you mean we're paying twenty dollars a year for for music? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's also going to be a very small selection. The largest music company in the world is not on board. That's Universal. They, they haven't signed to this. Yeah, I mean, the catalogue's always a killer, isn't it? If, yep. you, if you don't have the catalogue, you don't really have no. what people want. No, that's right. So they're going to start out with only uh, several thousand tracks as opposed to several million, which is what uh, most of the others are. But, you know, they've got to start somewhere. The thing is, if they can't get Universal on board... I'm not sure it will uh, succeed very well. I did kind of like, though, this idea of, uh, of I was going to say Google, of Amazon Prime where, you know, you get, you, it's kind of like a VIP club, you know, you, if you, I don't know, buy items from Amazon, you get free shipping. Yeah, that's um, kind of neat. If you're a really regular customer, that would be yeah, quite beneficial. Yeah, yeah. And if you're in the States and you could actually get their media content as well, yeah. like their video rentals and all that kind of stuff, it would be fantastic. Yeah. So there you go. Amazon's jumping on board as well. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so who's next Facebook Facebook's going to start offering it do you know what I don't know why Facebook don't even get into some of the other markets and I know this kind of you know you could say well everyone else is already doing that why, why are they but you know things like auctions they could take on eBay uh, surely they could do music sales as well why don't they they've got a captive audience yeah why, why don't, don't they do more potentially opens them up to a lot of risk a lot of fraud and a lot of um, 
it changes the experience. I think with auctions, there's something to be said about if you want to um, imagine you can start an auction, you're selling something, and you only want to really sell it to perhaps friends of friends or friends of friends of friends, so it's not sort of all and sundry. You're less likely to get false bids, people that don't pay. It doesn't mean it's going to eliminate it, but in theory it's less likely. It sounds like more of an add-on though, doesn't it, than a, than a core service. Like it's a... Well, I was thinking of it as an add-on. Yeah, yeah, something that you would add on, your friends would add on, and then you can trade with people. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that. I just think it would um, work really well. I, I, there's so many, you know, if I was going to sell online, and if I was a Facebook user, which I'm not, uh, but if I was, I think I would like to do that I'd like to go okay I'll limit it to say people who are three degrees away from me or something like that can you log into eBay with Facebook have they integrated at that level I don't know I because I, you wonder if maybe Facebook would rather have I'll do a deal and rather say, have yeah. like the authentication side of it and then share actually a bit of, yes that yeah. makes sense doesn't it the Let, more I think about it they don't need to start their minimize own minimise their risk and just yeah yeah, yeah you're right because everyone seems to authenticate with Facebook these days yep um, and that's where they get to tie everything in. And yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I think the sensible thing, the more I think about it, was is that they just do a deal with yeah. with eBay. Now, that's that's if eBay want to play ball. I mean, depend on the level. I mean, depends what's involved, really. I mean, if it makes easier access to to their services, then they're going to be keen. If it's going to cost them money, then they won't, um, unless they get more money than it's costing them. And yeah, it's business. So, although I guess from eBay's point of view, would they want people trying to restrict auction? I mean, you can already restrict it by countries. It does kind but of. It kind of goes against, you know. But the, eBay, I mean, eBay itself is kind of restrictive, isn't it? I mean, do you shop on eBay? I do. I do. As a New Zealand person, or using I, like an American address? Or? No, no, no. I shop as a New Zealand person. I, having said that, I don't buy much online, any or at least not from auction stores. I tend to yeah. buy from other, you know, DX.com, uh, AliExpress.com, things like yeah. that. But I, I do also occasionally buy from eBay. Yeah, I've never um, bought from it, so I guess I don't really okay. know. There's always a risk when you're dealing with online, especially with auctions. Because well, it's a personal cash sale, it, it, essentially. Ex- exactly. So there's no guarantees. There's no. No, no yeah. I've been ripped off on eBay. I, I bought a, or I tried to buy a, a little Rubik's Cube thing, I think a 3x3x1, three by three by and uh, it didn't arrive. I know, actually, I, I, it, they sent the wrong thing. So I ordered again thinking I'll get the right thing, and I got nothing. Oh. <laughs> So, you know, I've been I've been ripped off, and I think we've all people who use online auction sites all have stories about being ripped yeah. off at some point. Yeah, I mean, you can be as safe as you can, but you're always you're always at risk. I mean, I think the key is just choosing an amount of money that you're not going to mind losing. That's exactly it. The yeah. biggest risk I took actually was buying a off eBay a three hundred and seventy three hundred and eighty dollar radio controlled car, a gas powered oh. one from Taiwan, and I thought. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I, and I'll be annoyed if I don't, but I hope I do. And it, it turned up. Oh, and it worked. And, and it worked. It was fine, oh. yeah. Yes, yeah, so if you do your research, I mean, you're going to protect yourself a little bit. Like, yeah. if you know it's a company and you see that they've been trading for a while and, yeah. Yeah, I think all. I mean, that's you know the whole point. They have things like you know the 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 uh, the, the history, and, yeah, yeah, verified the number of stars, things like that. Which you know it doesn't necessarily mean they're legit, but they're less likely to to, to not go legit. You know, yeah. Because yeah. why why would they? If they've if they've placed enough value in that that it has value, then they don't want to yeah. risk that. Yeah, that's right. Well, Ben, anyway, that's pretty much all I had prepared. I don't know if there's anything else you want to bring to the table. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that was. That was pretty good. This is a kind of nice studio. I like this studio. It's not too bad, eh? With the fresh beer in the lobby 